I am already really intrigued with what Guy is up to with this season of the podcast. Here's the short version of what's happened so far. It all started when a friend of mine was healed from potential blindness, and when I heard the story, I felt a nudge to reach out to him and invite him to share on the podcast. Well, I must have made some comment online about this because another friend said, hey, I can talk about healing too. And my initial response in my mind was, I don't want to have too many healing episodes. And then I felt like God was saying, what if I want you to do a whole season of healing episodes? And my response was, I don't want to do that. Because healing is a difficult topic. Healing can be a controversial topic. Healing can be a weird topic. And I didn't know if I wanted to open myself up to a whole season of that. But if there's one thing I learned about God, when he invites us into something, he usually knows a lot more than we do. So I took a step of faith, reached out to the first friend. I confirmed with the second friend, yes, let's do this. You actually got to hear that episode if you've been following along. That was Will Roberts. Well, after taking that step of faith, it's like it unlocks something. And suddenly, I heard from two people I had never met before through this resource called Podmatch. And up until that point, I hadn't had much luck. But suddenly, these two people had stories that would fit really well with this healing series. I reached out to them. The first would be Darcy, and the second, Jerry, wasn't going to be available till the end of October. So I was going to have this long gap. But after recording Darcy's episode, which was just a really great conversation. It's like that unlocks something. And in the course of an afternoon, six people reached out to me. They didn't know anything about this series. They were just connected to my podcast and felt like it would be a good fit. And I'm telling you, all of them that I've confirmed have stories that fit really well with this healing series. So what am I getting at? I don't know what God's up to, but I know he's up to something because I have weeks worth of episodes in the works and these are covering everything from actual healing to emotional healing to not experiencing healing and they're all with people that i don't know so i don't know what those conversations are going to be like I, I share all this to say i really feel like god is trying to teach me but also us you listening something new about who he is something new about how he works, and something new about this, this concept of healing. He might want us to understand all of that in a way that's going to blow our minds, but it, it seems he's going to be doing it one episode at a time. So I'm going to be taking this journey, and I hope you will go on this journey with me. We pick up with the story of Michaela, who was born blind and experienced a miraculous healing, but that wasn't even the end of the story. You're listening to episode 64 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for the connections that you've been bringing about and just for this ongoing conversation um, with several people around healing and around that topic and I just thank you for Michaela and for bringing her about and just for her story and her journey and right now we just want to give this time to you we pray that you're glorified by it but we also pray that you would guide our conversation and if there's anywhere you want to take it we are willing to go there let's pray in his holy name amen all right, so I'm excited to have Michaela Cox. Uh, she is an author, a speaker, and we have never met before. She is one of the many people that 
you know, I feel like God just brought about over the course of <laughs> just a few hours on PodMatch. And when I got Michaela's message, one thing that immediately jumped out to me is that, you know, Michaela, you've written and shared about many of your journeys. And one of those is a lifelong journey with legal blindness. And when I saw that in there, I was like, all right, like, I feel like she's probably got some story that God wants to use in this healing series. So yeah, I mean, I guess just to start off, tell me the, the quick hit, the you're in an elevator for just one floor and someone says, who are you? Author speaker who writes about her 38 triple D, a journey of much tribulation to thriving in all things, lifelong disability of legal blindness, divorce at 26 and death of beloved spouse at 38, throwing me into solo motherhood. <laughs> You, you're, you've gotten that down. <laughs> you, you, I didn't time it, but that's pretty quick. And I, that's pretty good. I like it. that. You know, what I love about even that, that description and what you um, shared in your message is the recognition of the journey element of it. You know, I feel like culturally, a lot of times we like things to be immediate. We like things to be final. We like things to be clear. And I wasn't just struck by the fact that you have journeyed with blindness but the fact that you mentioned that it's a, a lifelong journey, which means, well, sometimes people think about healing as there is this problem and God immediately fixed it. Somehow, for some reason, God's invited you to have a lifelong journey with this. So tell me more about that part of your story. I said lifelong because I was actually born with it. So I've literally had it. There's, I'll be 43 in November. So there hasn't been a day or a breath that I've taken that I will ever know what it is to I mean, from a, a physiological, medical, anatomical, physical standpoint of what is actual to have normal, what most people used to see the world through. I will never know what that's like. My vision has always been jacked up, has always been screwed up, and I've never had a day or had a breath where it wasn't that way or that it won't be that way. So while I started out, I was originally born totally blind and I was raised in a Christian home and I've been a Christian longer than I haven't, I think 35, 38 plus years or something like that. But when I was seven months old, we believe that there was a miracle done in my life, which goes to healing, at least in this respect, this type of healing, where although it's still impaired in legally blind, I am in fact able to see and have for the majority of my life minus the first seven months. Whereas medically speaking, no one could tell you why I was born blind any more than they could tell you why I was seeing again. Mm -hmm. You know, it's medical fashion and they say, you know, the science and then there comes God or whatever that started my journey of, I was originally born blind, but now I see, and I have seen my whole entire life. It's just jacked up. Yeah. So you don't have much memory of that, but what was that experience like for your family? Uh, my mom, the way she, you know, tells the account of it is I actually wrote um, in my last book that dropped this summer. Now I see, I do literally walk the reader through this whole entire journey that we're speaking of starting with that. You know, I knew my whole life that that was the deal, but she told me and I've known the details, but I knew even more now as far as the medical particulars per se, <laughs> the jargon that I'm not, I mean, I'm a lay person, but I was born in November. So it was getting close to the holidays, right? You know, you're doing all the holiday things. And of course you get a tree, you know, and, you know, being a baby and an infant, you would think a child or would respond to certain stimuli, right? The bright lights on the tree or whatever. I did not, no matter where she put me, I didn't seem to register or recognize the light. So 
it was around that time that she started getting concerned that something was different. And so at pediatric appointments, she would inquire and they started doing examinations and it would be discovered. My pediatrician thought I didn't have octave nerves, hmm. but what it was is they were so pale, he couldn't find them. So it took a specialist in Houston to actually find my optic nerve, which is the root cause of the issue. It's called optic nerve optrophy. And what that means is in layman's terms, if you've ever seen a picture of your optic nerve, like maybe in a biology class or anatomy and physiology or at your eye doctor's office, an optic nerve is a certain shape and a certain color. What it's supposed to be is one shape. Mine's the totally different wrong shape. And the color of an optic nerve is supposed to be purple. Mine is not. The reason why they were so pale is because they're the color of a manila folder. Like they were almost undetectables, which is why they thought I was blind. So in reality, what that means is the bloodstream is not able to flow through the optic nerve like it's supposed to. There goes sending the signals and the receptors to the brain to tell the eye what to perceive. So a lot of what goes into what causes issues in my vision, there's a lot of lag time. There's a lot of not a recognition. There's a lot of struggle with focusing and just not detecting. And it takes me a long time to do a lot of things. That's the short of it. And then you add a whole bunch of other factors to it, like nearsightedness, nystigmatism, nystagmatism, not very good peripheral vision and not very good depth perception, which just makes a really big, messy, complicated crap show of vision. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, your, your mom was getting concerned. The doctors initially struggled to find it. And it seems like even when they found it, they didn't know what they could do for you. Is that? Well, it was 78. I mean, I'm not saying we know everything, all things knowing medically now, but compared to 78, we know a lot more than they did in the, you know, almost 45 years ago. So, you know, we've hopefully advanced way since then, you know, so they just didn't have a lot of information at the time. It's not a common thing and there's no family history and, Obviously, it's not genetic because my two children don't have it. So it was just a weird fluke thing thought at the time when I was living in New Hampshire and I'm jumping ahead a little bit. We'll get to more of that in a minute. But the eye physician that I saw there told my husband because he was also his um, commander in the National Guard, (laughs) oddly enough. So it was his boss on the weekends that there was research now. This was in 2010 that there's something that can happen that's a rarity that a fetus or a baby in the in vitro can have a stroke. Hmm fetal stroke is what it's called. And based off of the fact that there's no family history and there's no genetics and there seems to be no other plausible explanation other than we know what God did. But I mean, from a medical standpoint, of course, that that's probably what happened. And it would make sense because the optic nerve is on your brainstem. And I also can't smell unlike what most people would think, because usually when you have a lack or deficiency in one area of your body, the rest compensates, which mine does except in smell, because If you know anything about anatomy and physiology, the olfactory and the optic nerve are right there together in the same proximity to each other on the brainstem. So one got screwed up, they both got screwed up. Wow. And so when you were seven months old and this healing happened, was it something that your family said, all right, we're going to pray and pray and pray, or was it out of nowhere or how did that come out? They had been praying. I was raised Southern Baptist and They had a lot of people praying for me during this whole time period. And they also went to their minister at their church at the time. Now, I'm sure there's different thought process on what I'm fixing to say and beliefs in our religion. But the way it was done is that they went to our minister at our church and he and two of his deacons in the privacy of his office anointed me and they prayed over me. I know, like I said, there's a lot of 
gray area when it comes to anointing and healing and all that, depending on your denomination and your religious background, but that's how it happened. And then not long after that, um, my mom came to get me one morning and before she got me out of my crib is the way she tells us that she noticed that I was looking at her for the first time. Oh, wow. And that's how they knew. That had to be quite a moment for her. Yes. <laughs> wow. And I, you know, I appreciate that you even noted, you know, that that's one of the, when, when I felt like God was nudging me to do this healing series of the podcast, that was actually one of my hesitancies originally is there are a lot of different thoughts and beliefs mm -hmm. and ideas on healing and oh, yeah. there can be some controversy and there can be some tension, but your story is your story, right? Like this is how you experienced it, how it was communicated to you. And that's why I think stories can be so powerful because it's less like you're, you're not doing a college level class on this thing. Like you're just sharing your story. Yes. I mean, my medical history has been documented since I was three months old, February of 79. So you can go back in the records and see where they had me as blind. And then you can go back whatever visit I had at nine or 10 or 12 months or 18 months where they're showing, okay, now she's doing this. Yeah. So medical evidence records it as it went. And you can see the differences from a medical perspective of, okay, she was doing this from this age to this age. And now she's all of a sudden doing this. So yeah. It's clear there is objective evidence that something happened. And even if yes. people are like, wait, but how did it happen? doesn't change the fact that it did. You were blind yeah. and then you could see. Yes. I'm sure, you know, your, your parents, I don't know what your family felt about healing. They either believed it enough or willing enough to, to try it. But how did seeing you healed transform their understanding of healing or of God or of prayer? Well, I know they were faith believing because I was raised that way. And I mean, I know my mom said that as soon as they found out what was going on, they just knew that it was going to happen and they chose to believe and have faith. I mean, we see it in scripture all throughout the New Testament that that was why miracles happened is there was faith. Yeah. So what has this experience been like for you then? Because again, you were seven months old. And so all of this is less what you remember, more what's been conveyed to you. How have you experienced engaging the idea of faith and engaging the idea of prayer? having experienced it, but not remembering it? Well, I believe in it. I've seen, even though I don't remember that, I've seen it for my own self and other areas of my life where, you know, I saw the fruits of it and, you know, answered prayers and whatnot through either my own life or other people's lives. And I mean, that's what we're taught to do and it works and we know there's power in it and it's called faith. Yeah. And even though I don't remember the point of healing, I still have had a lifelong journey of dealing with a disability and um, having a visual impairment. Mm -hmm. One of the things that came up in one of the other conversations, it actually came up twice, I think. Uh, in our last episode, we had someone who she had experienced a, a disability that put her in a wheelchair. It was very unexpected. And then she was healed from it. Wow. And then 20 years later, it was reignited again. And wow. as much as she prayed, God didn't heal her from it. But she discovered that it actually brought her closer to God in ways that she wouldn't have expected. And in the episode before that, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine and the conversation about the apostle Paul came up where he had this yes. thorn in his flesh and he kept praying for it to go away and go away and go away. And God said, you know, in your weakness, I'm strong. My strength is sufficient for you. And so, you know, someone could hear you talking about how you were blind, but then you could see, but you also are still struggling with eyesight 
that isn't what you might have wanted it to be. And what is that journey like for you of knowing that God is capable of healing, but he is choosing not to give you 2020 vision right now? Well, my theory has always been, I mean, I'm not going to speak for God. I'm not God and don't want to be, <laughs> but there's been a reason for it. There's purpose for it. If nothing else, let me learn things in life. I feel like I've been given a lot of wisdom and truth and lessons that have served me well through life. And then maybe it can help someone along their journey. Yeah. Well, and it's led you to write books and led yes. you to speak. And these are things that if you had perfect vision at age seven months, it would have been meaningful to you, but you might not have written these books had you not had this ongoing experience. It makes me think of the verse where it says, uh, I, I can't remember the exact wording, but we're able to comfort others with the comfort that we've received. Right. And your experience of seeking God in the midst of not just challenges around blindness, but challenges in other areas that you mentioned, you've experienced God walking with you and comforting you through that. And now it sounds like you are comforting others who may be in similar situations. Hopefully. <laughs> well, we never know. My job is just to share it and then the results are up to him. That's how I feel with doing a podcast. The world would say that success as a writer or success as a speaker or success as a podcaster is that you're reaching bigger and bigger, bigger audiences and you're becoming more and more and more well-known. And so much of what I feel like God invites us to in scripture is not to be the first <laughs> because the last yeah. shall be first. And that sometimes what really matters is the step of obedience, right? The, right. the willingness to follow that nudge from God, regardless of what comes out of it, because the Apostle Paul says um, in one of his letters, they're, they're, the, the people in a, one of these cities, they were arguing back and forth about who they followed. And some said they followed Paul and some said they followed Apollos. And Paul's like, Paul and Paulus don't matter. It's not about us. I plant the seed, Apollos waters it, but God makes it grow, exactly. which tells yeah. me that there were moments where Paul did something that he knew was planting a seed that he may never have seen the fruit of it. Right. And he had right. to believe that, that was enough, that that faithfulness to God's invitation to him was enough. So I want to encourage you, you know, God has given you this powerful story and you have taken steps to walk in faithfulness to kind of give that story back out that God has given you. And I do believe that that produces fruit, whether it's immediate or whether we don't know until we get to heaven, God's like, hey, check this out. Right. <laughs> you know, there may be people listening to this that are working through a lifelong struggle that are trying to navigate through it that may wish that things were different what words of encouragement would you have to someone who's in that place well the things that i've done throughout my life at various different seasons or times or instances or whatever you want to call it is i have five things that i've found to have served me well and i think these are applicable to anybody and everybody not to say that all tribulations or sufferings the same Mine are different from the next person and theirs are different from mine. The idea of suffering and difficulty and challenges and trials are the same in the sense that it's it's still suffering. And if you choose to work through it or get around it or overcome it, you have to do the same things to be able to do so. So it doesn't matter what the actual, in this sense, it doesn't matter what the actual suffering is and that what you're overcoming is what you're doing to overcome it. I'm not saying that people's suffering doesn't matter. That is not what I'm saying at all. What we do to overcome whatever that is we're overcoming is exactly the same, no matter what we're getting around. So the five things I'm fixing to speak of, I think work in a variety of situations. Obviously, number one is first and foremost is our faith, which we've been discussing. 
um, that see me through just about everything as it always does. Second to that would be life is a choice. And what I mean by that is we may not have a choice in what we're given, such as the disability. I believe me, I didn't choose that. I was born that way. Okay. I hadn't even taken a breath yet. I didn't have a way to make a choice in it. <laughs> but I do, however, get to be in control of me and how I react and respond and use those things and what I do with them. You can either be defined by your life circumstances. Now, this is not to say this is easy, or you can choose to define it for yourself. Have I always done it perfectly? No. Is it easy? No, but it's still a choice. And so you have to decide, are you going to be defined by it or are you going to define it for yourself? Yeah. There's a passage that just keeps coming up and it's the one where the Apostle Paul is talking about um, the secret to being content in any situation. Yeah, here it is. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I could do all this through him who gives me strength. I, I feel like when I've approached that passage, when I was younger in my faith, I took it more as if hard things happen, it'll be okay like a kind of very simple version of that. But I still, in my mind, believe that that meant, but the hard things needed to go because being okay was the goal. That, that was what was most important for everything to be good, for me to be comfortable, for me to be happy. And the Apostle Paul, you know, he shares, he, he's like, I know what it means to be in need. I know what it means to have plenty. I know what it means to be well-fed. I know what it means to be hungry. I mean, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, blameless unto the law. Like he had this long resume of yeah. how great his life was based on the expectations of the world and his own expectations. And then God invites him to something different. And he finds himself in places that the world would say are the worst places, are failure, to be stoned and left for dead. It doesn't get much worse than that. Not really. The world would look at that and say, oh man, the apostle Paul, what happened to him? He was doing so well. But what the Apostle Paul realizes, it's not just that God wants to make your situations better. It's that God wants us to grow in knowing it doesn't actually matter what the situations are, because who God is and who he's created us to be aren't actually determined by the circumstances around us. Now, we can, like you were talking about choice, we can choose to let those influence us and make us doubt who God is or doubt who he's created us to be. But the reality is, is God is bigger than any situation or any circumstance, which means that God can still be God and good in the worst of circumstances. And we can still be his children and operate in, in the, the power that he wants to work through us, regardless of what's happening. And it sounds like that's part of what you're living out is part of your story that God's invited you to is to journey through struggle, not because he wanted to put you in hard situations, but, you know, I love how you said it earlier you don't know why he didn't just totally heal your eyesight, but you know there's a reason. And even if you don't know what that reason is, it's clear that it's enough for you to know that God knows. That is true. I'm not disagreeing. And I absolutely agree with that. But there's a difference in disability in the sense of when you've had it your whole life and doesn't make one better or worse or lesser or more than the other. Then when you're used to normal and then you don't have normal and flip the switch, this yeah. is my normal and I've, you know, had 43 years to kind of get over it and get used to it. <laughs> a yeah. lot of practice. Yeah. 
and learn how to work around it through, you know, faith and, you know, life is a choice and then also um, mindset. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point because I think that is sometimes one of the hardest places people find themselves in when it's a sudden change from what they know or a sudden change from what they want. A sudden illness, a family member suddenly gets cancer. Those things can really rock us, which is why I think it's so important. You know, the other thing that you've kind of woven throughout your story is you have aimed to be consistently faithful and seeking God. That's what it sounds like from what you've shared that I'm sure there are moments where that was going really well and moments where it wasn't, but for the most part, you grew up in a Christian home and you've desired to live into what it means to be a Christ follower. And I feel like what is really beautiful when we do that, when we are authentically seeking God and authentically trying to live into who he's made us to be, you know, those hard moments, sometimes what they do is they catch us off guard oh, yeah. and it reveals what's really in us. Right. And so if what's in us is God working through us, then that can impact those moments. Whereas if it was just us and our plans got changed. I mean, I'm not here to say I'm perfect or I have all the answers. That is not what I'm doing. I mean, there have been moments, obviously, as you, if you're listening, you've heard my story, lots of struggle. And that's what happens when we live in a non-perfect, fallen, flawed world. I mean, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, it's a question of which ones. They're coming, whether you want them to or not. There's no getting out of it. Mm-hmm. You don't get out of this life unscathed. It's just a question of which ones and when. It just so happens in my story. It's been, you know, blindness and disability and a divorce from a horrific first marriage and loss of a husband. The next person's maybe something totally different. It's still going to happen. So we just have to decide what we're going to do with it. And there have been times I would like to think I've been faithful. I still believe I still have my faith, although it's taken a little bit different shape over the last four and a half years post losing my husband, but yeah. still here. Yeah. And I feel like that's something we need to name is it's okay if our faith looks different than it did four years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago, because what we're talking about is an incomprehensible God. Like what we're talking about is a reality that's beyond what we can understand. That means that we are always going to be learning more and more of who God is and more and more of what eternity is which means that that's going to change what our faith looks like. It's, it has to grow. It has to adjust, especially when it pushes against some of the things that it's hard for us to believe, or it's hard for us to accept. You know, that's what happened with many of Jesus's disciples. And I think it's John six sixty six. Jesus was near the end of his life. He had hundreds following him. So beyond the 12, there are many other disciples who thought he was talking crazy talk. I mean, he was talking about, eating my body, drinking my blood, or I think that he was talking about those things in there, but he was saying things that made no sense to him, seemed crazy. There are many people who had followed him maybe for years that at that moment, they said, this is too much. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. And they were in the presence of the literal Jesus <laughs> hearing right. his literal words, but there was something within them that it was just a non-starter for him. Whereas the other disciples, many of them heard the same things, probably wrestled in the same way, but for some reason, they decided to stay at the table. Now, they still had struggles. We see that with Peter, and he was willing to die for Jesus. But then when somebody said, hey, weren't you with Jesus? He he denied him three times, right? But Jesus brought restoration. And so, you know, I think there's encouragement, even in what you shared, that you had this life of growing in your faith and knowing that means, and you had this 
tremendous loss. And the past four years, your, your faith has looked different. But I feel like that's part of the journey, right? Of we knew who God was when things were one way. Now this thing happened that it's like, why did you even let it happen, God? And somehow I have to still trust and love you, even when you allowed this, that, or the other. And it's that staying at the table that I think produces a new level of faith that we couldn't have gotten to if everything was just easy. If we're not changing and growing, then we're standing still and we're probably dying because we're living creatures. So you got to do one or the other. Mm -hmm. And life is very fluid. It doesn't stay the same. I mean, nature proves that all the time. So just as it goes with the seasons of life, so does our seasons in our own life and journey. It's very fluid. Nothing stays the same. Yeah. One thing that's going to be coming up in some of the future episodes in the series is, you know, sometimes when people think about healing, they think about the physical and the practical. So we've started this conversation talking about being healed from blindness, but there's also many other forms of healing that God does. And it sounds like that's been part of your story as well, that you've experienced some hard things that weren't physical things. You've experienced loss and there's been opportunities and probably a desire for healing on an internal level. And it's taken different forms from different circumstances, like the place that I found myself after my first marriage ended. And because of why it ended, it left me in a very vulnerable place. And it left me with a lot of scars and wounds and hurts. And that's taken care of itself and been that's been healed. And I moved on and I had a wonderful um, two years of dating and almost 10 years of marriage with my second husband that passed away. And while it only took one moment for the grief and the loss to come, anyone who's traveled grief knows it's an ongoing journey. It never really goes away. You just learn to live through it. You don't really get totally over it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that brings up a really important point about how we understand healing. Because going back to what we shared before, someone could think healing from blindness means that your eyesight is perfect, but you experienced healing but the goal wasn't perfect eyesight because for whatever reason, God wanted to do it another way. And with grief, we feel like healing is you don't feel any sadness anymore, but there could be something that God wants to do in, in allowing us to continue to walk through those moments, having those trigger moments where we're having a good day. And then suddenly we remember something and it brings us low. I think that's the, the opportunity for growth that all of us have when it comes to healing is if we decide to not think that the goal of healing is perfection, but that the goal of healing is to bring us closer to God, how might that change what we ask for when we ask for healing? Or how we do and how we respond and how do we perceive things? I kind of, now I am inherently a perfectionist myself, has a lot to do with, you know, I'm an only child, first child, you know, just my age and organization and what's allowed me to coping mechanisms around the vision and also my personality type. But what I've come to appreciate in the last couple of years, it's, you know, how they always taught us growing up, practice makes perfect. No, practice makes progress. So as long as we're making progress, we're still headed in the right direction. I think that's a lot easier to live with. Yeah. (laughs) Now, as a perfectionist, that's very hard for me to accept at times and be okay with. But in trying to give myself grace, I'm getting more okay with that in the last four and a half years as opposed to before. Still working on it. Yeah. And I feel like this is the journey we see the disciples going on, right? Like, I imagine Peter was working towards his idea of perfection of what it meant to follow Jesus and and was trying to live that out. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him and Jesus could have stopped that from happening, but he let Peter know it was going to happen. And then Jesus allowed it to happen. 
And I wonder if part of that was it gave Peter the opportunity to recognize that perfection wasn't the goal. Being the perfect disciple wasn't the goal because he really dropped the ball. He denied the person that he swore to go to the death for. Right. And in that, though, he got to see the perfect love of Jesus. And that's that's where the perfection actually lies. Right. And so here's the funny thing is, in a way, we could say that pursuing perfection isn't a bad thing. It's just that we are looking for the wrong type of perfection. We're looking for personal perfection. But if we look to the perfection that is Christ and we, we work towards that, that actually will produce something very different than if I'm trying to be a perfect Christian or a perfect father or a perfect husband or, you know, you, you named it, it. We just can't do it. Like we, we cannot achieve perfection in of ourselves because we're, we're because we're imperfect beings because of, you know, the fallen world and original sin or whatever theology you want to put on it. Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing is, is that even if we choose to pursue the perfect Christ, the part that makes that hard is that it, it costs us everything along the way. Like that's what Jesus said, you know, unless you hate your father and mother and your, your son and your daughter, even your own life and take up your cross and follow me, you're not really following me you may desire to follow me, but unless you do that, you are incapable of following me because all of those things, no matter how good they might be, will hold you back. And we see this lived out, right? In the disciples' lives and the apostle Paul's lives, their lives could have looked very different, could have looked very successful from a worldly point of view. But most, if not all the disciples were killed in a, a humiliating way, right? Like the apostle Paul, we just read in the passage, he was writing that from a, a jail cell, I believe, and was being restricted in his ability to go out. And he eventually was killed. They literally lost their reputation and lost their lives and lost their material wealth. But what they gained was far abundantly more than anything they could have asked or imagined. And the more they began to realize that that was true, the more willing they were to let go of some of the stuff that it was hard to let go of before. <laughs> Yeah. If someone wants to hear more of your story, what's the name of your book and where can they find it? Um, all of my books are on Amazon. Um, I have currently eight right now. Wow. Not stopping anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Because you have another coming out in February, right? Yeah. In the religious series, I've, eh, I have five different series I'm working on right now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it varies different you know, different ones come out at different times of year. But yeah, there's, um, I have a series on motherhood and one on that I wrote, not children's book, but I wrote for my kids. It really has to do with, you know, what we want to give our kids as parents, you know, legacy and intentional parenting. Uh, I have that one. I have the one on religion. I have the one about my own life that we've been talking about. Now I see, and I have one on American politics. Yeah, I know. Kind of all over the place. And I have a website that's called my heartfelt meditations that gets you to all the things. That's great. Well, before we go, is there anything else in your heart or mind that you feel like you want to just share to whoever's listening? Well, for me, it's all about faith first and foremost. And, you know, life is a choice. Choose well. You get one shot at this. So live your best life and thrive. but now I see. When I was thinking of how to close out this episode and I began praying, I feel like God brought to my mind 
what that phrase probably triggers for all of us, the song Amazing Grace. I didn't really know what God was trying to get me to see through that. So I looked up the lyrics. I went on Wikipedia. I read about John Newton. And what struck me most about his story is his story is the story of seeking God and then immediately messing up again, seeking God and immediately turning from him again, seeking God and immediately going back to old ways again. Uh, it's not just the story of John Newton. It's a story we see throughout scripture, and it's a story that many of us know well. At one point, Newton wrote in a series of letters, like an unwary sailor who quits his port just before a rising storm, I renounced the hopes and comforts of the gospel at the very time when every other comfort was about to fail me. His point of conversion came in March 1748. He was on this ship called the Greyhound, and it was a slave ship. And during this time, a, a torrential, violent, horrible storm came. And we're not talking about a storm that lasted for an hour. I mean, they were working for several hours to keep the ship from capsizing. He ended up having to steer it for the next 11 hours. Then they got out of the storm, but they were starving. They were exhausted, but they made it through. Now, not all of them. There, there was a sailor who was washed overboard, and he was standing in the very place that Newton had been standing only moments before. And that, in combination with everything that happened, reminded Newton of a moment in the midst of the worst moments when he said, after they had done all else, if this will not do, then Lord have mercy upon us. And this was his conversion moment. But here's what's really interesting. He went back to a lot of things that he had done before. One thing he stopped doing was being so immensely profane. Apparently, he was notorious for his profanity, going so far as to make up his own really awful curse words. He was able to pull back from that, but he continued to sail slave ships, become a captain of a slave ship. He had this moment of getting a glimpse of God, but not yet fully seeing him. And I think what strikes me about this and this episode and this season is, you know, we hear that phrase, was blind, but now I see. And it makes me wonder if there are things about the concept of healing and more broadly about God and what he's up to that we are actually blind to. That maybe we can see things partially, but we cannot fully see yet. And just like John Newton, who would get close to God and then pull back. I wonder if that happens for us as well. That we begin to learn to trust God a little more around something like healing. Until we hit a particularly hard moment and we pull back. I'm at this moment reminded of something Darcy shared, that she had been healed of her disability. And then when the disability struck again 20 years later, initially she was really angry at God about that. <laughs> it was hard to know how to pray. Michaela had a very different experience because she had always only known legal blindness her entire life. She was born blind. But even she shared that there have been struggles, and particularly the loss of her husband, that 
has caused her to wrestle with what does it mean to have faith in the midst of struggle? I think we all have these kind of moments. And I think that that's okay. Because for us, it seems wrong if we had confidence in God and then suddenly we don't. And it's not that it's wrong. It's that it's human. It's human because we are not yet capable of fully grasping the fullness of who God is and what he can do. God is a God of healing. He's also a God that doesn't totally restore vision sometimes, that he doesn't totally heal a disability sometimes, that he doesn't heal one person, but heals a total stranger. These are all stories that we've already heard in this series, and we're going to hear more stories. God is a God of healing, and so often that healing does not play out in the way that we want it to, in the way that we think it should, in a way that feels just. And somehow God is God and God is good. The question comes down to, are we willing to humbly admit that we may be blind to who God is and what he is doing? No matter how much we know, we may have some blindness. And the second question is, are we willing to see no matter what journeying to gaining sight might cost us? Because this is what it's all about ultimately. It's not about being the perfect Christian or doing all the right things. The whole thing is about knowing God being his. So I want to encourage you to continue this journey with me and with others who are listening and to be willing to say to God, all right, God, you know my thoughts and feelings about healing. You know my experiences, good and bad, around healing. I just want to acknowledge that there may be things that I'm blind to. I'm willing to step where you say to step in order to see you more fully and to understand you more clearly. And then be willing just to take whatever the next best step is, trusting that God is God and God is good, and that God is a healer. Take the steps and ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group, and you will love listening to the rest of the music, so check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?